Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I am over the moon about my guest here with me today. Um, I met him when we were in Israel together, and I'm sure we will get into all of that good stuff later. But before we do, Jelle Zelstra, he, him, is a Dutch Jewish queer activist working for a Greenpeace as a community organizer. In another life, he used to be a theater director and actor, which he sometimes still does for fun. His Jewish and queer identities are deeply intertwined with his work as both an activist and an artist. Yele, welcome. Wow, that's such an impressive biography. It is, right? Oh my God, what an honor. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. So what time is it where you are right now? Just so we can get our bearings. So I'm in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and it's 5.41 p.m. Okay, so you are at the end of your day. You're about to head into your evening. Yes, I finished working. And um, I'm going on a holiday in two days. So that's Ooh. great. Where are you going? I'm going to Spain. We're, gonna, we're going to take a road trip with a couple of friends. So uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it. That's amazing. How long is the drive? So we're going we're gonna to drive it in three runs, so to say. So mm-hmm. we have a first stop in France, and then we have a second stop in France, and there we will stay actually for, I think, three days, and mm. then we will continue to drive to Spain. So yeah, it's, it's about a three-day drive if you, don't, if you don't stop. Yeah. Okay, so I'm jealous because when we do road trips here in the States, it's like, I'm going to stop in Kansas, no offense, or like Ohio, no offense, but like you're like I'm going to France, and then it's just like it's, it just feels so much more luxurious and like right. worldly to, to do a road trip in Europe. <laughs> we're 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 just gonna be sipping amazing French wine on on some vineyard somewhere, and then we're moving on to the Spanish coast. Yeah, that's gorgeous. <laughs> and how long are you gonna be in Spain? For about ten days. Okay. Yeah. That's incredible. And you don't have to do any work or anything while you're there. You're just, you're really on no. holiday. I'm, so this is something that I would advise anybody, by the way. When I started my job, my new job at Greenpeace two years ago, they gave me a work phone and a work laptop. And it's the best thing ever because when I finish my working day, I just, I switch off the phone, I switch off the computer. I put it, I even, I put it somewhere like hidden in a closet Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you just, you kind of just close your job. It's amazing. And then the next morning you, you take it out, you open a computer, you switch on the the phone that's only for work. And then there it is. So I'm going to leave all that stuff at home. 
And, you know, it's, I know it's amazingly privileged. When I used to be a freelancer in theater, I was always, you know, like, it's, it's so hard because you're constantly working, mm-hmm. because you're constantly, you know, people can constantly reach out to you because you have your phone. Your personal phone is also your, your work phone. Mm-hmm. And your personal laptop is also your work laptop. But if you can make the separation, do it. I love that. That's, that's like a, what a, what a, like a goal to be able to achieve is to just be able to put all that stuff away in the evening and not, and, and peep and, and work is like really cool about not being able to act. Like, is that the culture? Like, like no one after hours communicates or this was a boundary you set or I'm just so curious. Right. That's a very good question actually. And I think it's, I, I was, I would say on the verge of, burning out a couple of years ago um yeah maybe maybe i think i always say i think i pulled the brake at the right moment mm-hmm. you know i i had a it's actually a quite a funny story in a in a sense i was constantly working i was so busy there was also a lot going on in my personal life and i always felt like i had drank 15 cups of coffee you know like I was always on this sort of adrenaline rush and then one day I had a panic attack um, Mm. in the middle of the night it was no particular reason it just happened and I didn't identify it as such as such because I'd never experienced something like that Um, so I thought I was under the impression (laughs) that I had a heart attack. Wow. That's so scary. (laughs) So it was, it's the scariest thing ever. So I went, I went to the doctor the next day and I said, listen, I think I had a heart attack (laughs) Mm. and she, she ran some tests and she was like, well, let me tell you, you, you did not have a heart attack. Your heart is in perfect condition. There's nothing going on. Are you maybe stressed? And I was like, fuck, that's Mm, it. Yeah. And that's when I basically pulled the brake. I, 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 I very radically cleared out my agenda. Um, and that was hard because once again, I was a freelancer. I, I, I was depending on, on making this money and doing this work. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me, it was very clear that I had to choose for my own. Uh, health and my own sanity and uh, since that moment and since kind of bouncing back from that I've I've been really good at setting borders and also at just listening to my body and just you know um, and I think it's very important that um, that we do that even though it's yeah it's hard once again I mean not everybody is in the position to do it if you are forced to to you know, to work uh, because you you cannot, there's no other option for you to work or to be busy or you have a, a kids at home or a family to provide for or whatever, uh, then it's, of course, harder to do these things. Um, but um, yeah, I try to be very um, clear about my boundaries and uh, where I put them when it comes to this. So everybody at work, they, they, at work, they, they know, like, mm-hmm. don't call me after five. Yeah, that's great. And I'm glad that they, well, in theory, they respect you, but we don't know because your phone's off, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. We don't know, but I think they do. I mean, how's that for you? Like, do, do you do you manage to, to kind of keep the separation? 
Um, I try really hard because I am a freelancer right now. I, um, I actually put up on all of my email accounts, like an out of a a perpetual out of office that essentially is like, (laughs) I got that one. I love, I love that. Oh, that was really good. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I need to take time for myself to recharge and reset and dream and, you know, fill my cup so I can help fill others, others' cups is, you know, and, um, and then I even say, if it's, you know, if it's urgent, reply back, but, you know, let's, let's be thought partners in, is this actually urgent or what? And so I've not had anyone urgent, urgent reply back to me. So, and that's been nice. I loved it. I loved that, that out of office. And to be honest, I think an setting an out of office is, it's just one of those tiny little tweaks that you can do mm-hmm. that do set a boundary and that yeah. do I was I was actually talking about this specific thing like setting an out of office mm-hmm. with a couple of friends a few weeks ago like it's something that you can actually do mm-hmm. you can do it it's normal but I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to constantly be in this mode of you know have to keep going we have to move on we have to work work is such an important part of of people's identity mm-hmm. and it's all this internalized capitalism basically yeah mm-hmm. where we capitalize on ourselves in yep. the end and that's uh that's a problem it really is and i um have i love having that out of office because it gives me like a built-in chance to breathe, to think about an email when I get it. And because when people, I have a friend, Julie, who's also a former ROIer. Um, I guess, I don't know if we're ever former. I guess we're perpetually ROIers. Um, What's uh, an ROIer? Ooh, great question. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> um, but she was like, just because someone has time to email me doesn't mean I have time to respond. Um, right. And I love right. that. And that's great. It, it is. It's great. She's great. Um, and so having that, that out of office, it gives me, because in theory, we shouldn't need an out of office. We should all just give each other the space we need to respond when we can and us to be able to communicate the urgency explicitly if we need it in an email. Uh, but we're not there yet as a society. And so to have this out of office is like a scaffold or a baby step into, I don't have to respond to you in two seconds. I'm going to take my time and we're going to communicate together on when we need to, like, what are the expectations of this email? And it's been listen, really nice to have that space. Listen, I'm, I'm all for like civil disobedience and <laughs> disruption. And this is a tiny little act of disruption, right? It's a, it's an act of sort of, yeah. Creating this moment where people are like, Oh, huh? I never, never, I never, really thought about that or that's interesting or and you know maybe it creates even if it's like the tiniest ripple effect where some people I'm, I'm I might actually steal this from you to be honest Please. so yeah that's what you did amazing and you know what and I and I borrowed from others you know I didn't right. come up with this and so I think when that's just speaks to what you're saying of the, the ripple effect of like one at a time this like quote-unquote grassroots movement of learning to set boundaries and take space for ourselves and try to undo some of the internalized capitalism that we have. Um, So yeah. Okay. Let us get into 
the meat, even though we've already really gotten into the meat or if we're, or if we're vegetarian tofu. Um, but um, we all have multiple coming out stories. We have multiple coming into ourselves stories. And I'd love to hold space for one of those stories you'd like to share with us. All right. Yeah. So when we met in, in, uh, in Israel, I think I already told you my, my, my coming out story mm-hmm. and it's, it's um, yeah, it, it is something that I would actually like to reshare um, because I think my experience, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't consider my experience to be special or um, out of the ordinary. Uh, right. But I think it's an experience that is shared by so many people and, and that makes it important to talk about it because mm-hmm. I, I grew up in a very secular, uh, progressive, um, left-wing household. Um, My mom was one of those mothers that she always told me, if you ever um, come home with a girl or a boy, Mm -hmm. then we will blah, blah, blah. So it was, in theory, it was safe, right? But when I discovered that I um, that I was gay, uh, I'm a gay man. Um, when I discovered that I, that I was gay, I was quite young. Um, I was, I think, eleven, maybe. Yeah, I think eleven, um, and it scared me to death. Like it was horrifying. I was horrified, and. I would even pray to, to a God that I did not believe in because I wasn't raised religiously. I had no like religious um, tools at my disposal uh, uh, or upbringing or whatever. And, and uh, I would pray to God to please make me straight. Um, please make me normal. And I would do everything in my power to hide the fact that I, that I was, that I had these feelings and that, that I was gay. So it's always, it's always kind of interesting, right. To, 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 to think about like, what, what was it then that kind of kept me from uh, sharing that part of myself with the world? And I think in this case, it was because I, there was, no one else there was nobody else like there was nobody that i knew uh, that i really knew right right uh uh or that was a role model um that was also gay in my school which was a again a, a very progressive safe small school you know quite elitist you know like it was it, it was this it should have been a safe environment, but it was not because it, because nobody was gay. Mm-hmm. And the only time that the word gay uh, was used was in a bad, was in a bad way. Mm-hmm. So it, it would be used as, as, um, as a, as a, um, how do you say it as in English? Like it's, it's not like my... a slur, a derogatory a slur. term. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Um, and of course, now I know that there were at least two other, uh, uh, boys in my in my class uh, that were also uh, struggling with the same feelings, mm-hmm. probably. Um, uh, 
but yeah, I felt completely alone. So I did not come out and it took me, it took me until I was 19. Um, so it took me eight years of pretending and playing a part and and then at a certain certain moment my my mom she i was reading a book i think i was in the in the living room and my mom she she was in the kitchen she was cooking and i think at a certain moment she just walked up to me and she said hey um by the way i mean this is how i how i remember it right mm-hmm. <laughs> do you like girls or boys mm. and i and i i kind of froze like shit this is it um and I said I like boys and then she said okay that's fine and that's and that was it um and that literally was it like we did not have any further conversation um uh, we did not sit down to further discuss it uh, my mom made sure she told all the other family members i think i think she thought that was the right thing to do to not put that burden on me but you know in in retrospect i i kind of i don't know i i i i feel like that was a mistake maybe mm-hmm. her doing that um and that was it i was kind of saved by the bell i did not have to, i did not have to do it myself uh uh but also the moment was taken from me uh, mm-hmm. in a way um and later i've had conversations with my mom about it in which i said hey that listen i do feel bad about how that went and i do even though at that time it was kind of uh a relief also of course it was a relief mm-hmm. but it was also um i i needed at least some aftercare you know some some acknowledgement of what had happened yeah yeah thank you so much for sharing um i have as i do many follow up questions um and thoughts how did how did um the rest of your family receive the news like did that impact relationships with other people in your family it did not and 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 to be honest i don't i don't know how they received the news because mm. my mom like i said she told people she told other my brother my sister my father my grandma my aunts she told everybody about it so i just and i just i knew that she did i don't really remember how i maybe she told me or I do remember my brother coming up to my room at a certain point, like a day or two days after I told my mom, um, um, saying something like, Hey, uh, Hey, I, I heard about it and uh, it's okay. You know, mm-hmm. uh, don't worry. Uh, uh, and my sister kind of, did, I think did the same thing. My father never, never brought it up, brought it up in any way. And, and after these like moments of uh, my brother and my sister and my mother kind of just acknowledging it and being like, Hey, it's okay. Uh, period. Mm-hmm. It was never really spoken about. And of course I brought uh, uh, a boyfriend home and things like that, which was completely um, 
which was acceptable, which was, he, he was welcomed to our home and, uh, uh, my family, uh, uh, they loved him and, uh, uh, uh always treated him uh, great, but, um, it, we, we never spoke about it. And that does kind of hurt. Like we never spoke about what has your experience been? Why did you not tell us? Why did you wait until you were 19? And I mean, I could have waited longer, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it was my mom who, who, pull it out of me yeah um we've never had these conversations and it's only now that 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 i'm starting to have these conversations with my mom um yeah and is it and you're having them now because you're initiating them yes i'm i'm initiating uh, initiating them actually i went into therapy a couple of years ago Mm-hmm. Um, and at a certain point, me and my, my therapist, we decided to invite her to, to talk about it. Yeah. Wow. Therapy yeah. and boundaries. Right. I wish that for everybody. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, I, I just, I relate to so much of what you shared around, um, like knowing my queer identity at a really young age, but then feeling so afraid of it because there were no or very few, but also no out <laughs> queer people in my school. And, you know, like similar to you, I now there are many queer and trans people, even in my own grade, um, right. my year. And so it's just, it really is. And so as as you were sharing that, I had this whole like montage of thoughts, which is like, our generation, I think is the last of not right. having that. And that makes right. me so happy. Right. Like, so let me happy. show you, a, let me show you a story. I, I used to be a teacher uh, at this, uh, this theater school for, for teenagers, basically. Um, and uh, I think this happened like three years ago or something. Uh, I was on my break and this, light of a boy like the cutest student you know I've ever had like really amazing uh talented kid he came up to me and he said hey by the way uh did you know that today it's one year since I came out Aww. and and he was like 14 or something mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's just one of those moments where <laughs> Yes, this is it. And also, I I learned so much working there as a, as a teacher. Also, like you have as a teacher, as a queer teacher, you have so much power. Mm-hmm. Um, also, depending on context a bit, but I could, for instance, when I saw homophobia, I could do something about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I could talk to those kids, and I could tell them. Uh, about my story and I, and I could see that, that it, that it worked, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, 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 uh, it's getting better. It is. Some it places. Is. Yeah. Some, some places. places. Let's, I mean, and it can get worse real, real, real easy. Yeah. I mean, here um, in the States, it's, it's a real, shit show depending on what state you're in and right. it is it's like it is simultaneously getting better and worse at the same time um right and that's it, frightening yeah it, it really is, is frightening but 
but on the other hand, my and I'm scared. I'm scared shitless, like a lot of a lot of times. Also, I mean, in Europe we have Hungary, which is I mean far away, but also close in a way. Like mm-hmm. and and it's it's and, we, and even in in the Dutch Parliament we have political parties that are that are homophobic and and uh, transphobic and uh, using using all these alt right far right language about family values about. Uh, protecting our kids and blah 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 so we it's it's everywhere but what i very strongly feel is we are never going back into that closet mm-hmm. never we are living through an unprecedented moment of visibility and we are never going back yeah i had a i had a moment i'm here in the United States, um, they're changing the like driver's license system where you have to have a quote unquote like enhanced ID where you have to have even more proofs of identity. So then that you can use to fly with. And if you don't have that, then you have to use your passport even within the United States. Um, And so I was filling out the, um, the application for it and the, the, they call it sex, but it really is gender. Um, Mm. They give you the option now in New York state, male, female, or X. And for a lot of years, as they've been talking about it and then they passed it and it finally in June became an option to physically do, I was on the fence. I was like, if I put, if I put X, that mm-hmm. is quite literally announcing to whoever's looking at my ID, my trans identity. Yeah. Um, and for so long, I've for better or for worse, mostly for worse, and read a certain way as a cis, a cis woman. So I guess for worse, because that's not who I am. Um, right. But there's there's safety in that. And yes. there's safety in being read as a cis man. And so to, to act, proactively choose X, I was really on the fence about, because I was like, what about my safety? What about... And then I kind of ultimately decided that I want to to push this to push, to push the boundaries, to push whatever, to push the safety. Because I, like you said, like, I won't go back in the closet. It was so miserable in there for so long. It caused so much damage, so much damage that I yes. can't do it anymore. I can't hide in the, I, I don't want to hide. I don't want to um, put gender markers that aren't mine. It's just not, that's not right. No, you're, <laughs> and so, you're past that station. And, and, yeah. and it's, it is extremely difficult to yeah. choose between your your safety and your dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's what you did. Yeah, and so so I'm gonna have it, <laughs> and well, you know, it'll be what it is, and yeah, it's always. I mean, it's 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 just it just sucks to be let's let's be honest it sucks to be a marginalized minority yeah in a patriarchal uh capitalist society and they will always try to 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 re-marginalize you so Mm -hmm. to say even when you have rediscovered or or when you have claimed your freedom and you have claimed your rights you fought for them and i think we should 
I'm kind of losing my, my train of thought, but what I think what I'm trying to say here is that we should always be vigilant. We should be aware that there's always people ready to take away our freedoms and uh, uh, um, uh, to put us back into that closet. Mm-hmm. But it's just not going to happen. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not like, going I'm, to, I'm, I'm not having that. Yeah, me neither. And it's like not, not taking things for granted and always, it almost like it, it's reminding me of just a, a practice of gratitude of like all of the hard work that has gone into our liberate, our queer liberation that we have now. Um, we need to be paying homage to those people. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, And then, and know that, like you said, they want to take, they want to continue to remarginalize and, and, and we can't have that. And they will do it. I mean, I mean, look at what, what's happening in the States. I mean, look at, look at abortion rights. Yep. Uh, They will, they will come after uh, uh, queer rights next and we know it. Um, but I think one thing that has changed a lot in recent decades, it's been decades, right? It's, it's just, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, 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 it's just been a couple of years, to be honest, uh, where we are as queer people visible. Mm -hmm. And, and that means that we cannot be denied, everybody knows someone that is queer it's 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 a different situation and i honestly believe that in a way it's a game changer even though the system will try to find ways to put us down to 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 kick us back into that closet i think we've reached a moment in time where this is going to be at least so hard because you cannot deny our existence. We're here. And um, yeah, we're not going anywhere. So yeah, it's, uh, I love that. I love that the pot, like the positivity that you're bringing. And also, um, I would not, sorry to interrupt you, but I would yeah, not okay. necessarily call it positive. Okay. Because there is, yeah, it's positive maybe, but, but, but I would also like to acknowledge, you know, the dark side that's Mm -hmm. of it because i do believe that as queer people um we should be extremely extremely vigilant Mm -hmm. and and mindful of what's going on around us and we we should um we should be mindful of the fact that there are a lot of people that are ready to take away our freedom Mm -hmm. um and i think the last thing that we want to be is complacent right like You don't want it to have to, to just to just happen, and and you didn't try to, to to fight it or to do anything about it, and not everybody has the the is in the position to fight. But if you are in a position to fight, you better fight because people fought for you. Um, you know we are standing on the shoulders of of, of fighters, mm-hmm. so if you can be one, be one. Yeah, because you know it takes a fight. Sometimes everything that we've won, if it's, you know, if it's queer rights, but also women's rights, um, uh, you name it, has been fought for. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe positive is not the right word. Maybe some hope, hopeful, hopefulness. 
Um, um, and also I think, um, just thinking of like people who are in positions of power to, to fight. I think about, I go through this in my mind all the time of like, I want to fight and I'm also so fucking exhausted um, that it, sometimes it makes it hard because it's like these, the bills that are being introduced or the language that, that people use constantly when it comes to um, abortion rights um, is so centered on cis women and it completely erases all of the other people who can get pregnant and maybe don't want to be pregnant um, or need will need those services for whatever reason. It's not our it's not right. my business, <laughs> but like even just like having to ingest the, the erasure of the conversations of even when people are not even intending to erase it, it's like, well, abortion rights are queer rights, right? Like they're right. already coming for us. It's, it's pretty. Right. Um, it's and pretty they terrible. have been. They yeah. have been coming for us. I mean, this is, of course, the most painful thing about it, I think, is that now that it's abortion rights, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't live in the States, but I'm, of course, I'm careful, carefully watching. I have a lot of friends there. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's not like this is uh, the first thing that happened, you know? I right. mean, they've been coming for trans rights, especially. Mm-hmm. Um but people just haven't been paying attention because it doesn't affect them. Right. Um, but yeah, this is not new for you, of course. Yeah. Um, okay. I w- let, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about this forever, but w- let's talk about other things too. So we met at ROI and we were like, what's ROI? So ROI is this <laughs> conference um, that it, I think it, re- it actually literally stands for return on investment, but it brought 150 Jewish activists and entrepreneurs and change makers from all over the world, 25 countries were represented uh, to bring us in a space where we can meet and network and brainstorm and connect and try to figure out more ways to change the world for the best, for the better. Um, And so we were in a whirlwind of um, brain dates, which were these uh, 30 minute meetings to get to know as many people as we could. Um, and we were scheduled from like 8 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. every day. And so um, how are, how, so, and that was for like five days. <laughs> and right. and uh, so we, we haven't actually really spoken since the end of the conference. So how, how have you, how has it been since you've been back? Any processing or any new um, insights or ways of thinking or anything, any takeaways from our time at ROI together? Well, I mean, there's, there has been a lot of, of takeaways, but I think for me, the most important one, I was kind of scared going mm. into that conference because yeah. it, I mean, I, I, in the application form and like the whole process you go through, it was already quite clear that they were doing their best to create an inclusive space and, uh, that progressive values were being upheld and things like that. Yeah. But still, it also felt a bit like they were using, like you, you had to like uh, comply to this dress code, right. which, which had words in them like business formal or mm-hmm. business casual, which are really not the kind of words that I 
use in my life mm-hmm. um and also not the kind of clothes that I have in my in my <laughs> closet <Yeah>. usually so <laughs> that I was a bit intimidated by that and then also I was a bit intimidated by going into a space full of Jews because mm-hmm. the experience of being Jewish in in the Netherlands I think is is different from from maybe well, or maybe not but uh from the one in the states i think i mean i know a lot of super cool jews here in the netherlands and 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 you know there's a lot of amazing people doing amazing work but the institutions are conservative they are very closed off inward looking um usually quite right wing leaning even and um that doesn't make these organized Jewish spaces very safe mm-hmm. for queer people, for people like me that are patrilinear Jews that did a, I, I did a, a, a reform conversion. And these are all, I think in the context of the States, different experiences than here in Europe or, or in the Netherlands specifically, where Jewish life can be so heavy mm-hmm. and, and, and 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 conservative so when i came into into the space and i noticed one of the first conversations that i had was with this amazing non-binary kid from 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 spain who 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 was such a light and so smart and and it just made me feel safe at once and Mm -hmm. and then throughout the what was it five days Mm -hmm. kept meeting people like you uh and and other amazing people that were queer that were different that had different ways of relating to their judaism to their jewish identity to big things like zionism like like religion like all these things that can sometimes complicate jewish life for me at least Mm -hmm. so i guess this is turning into a long story but i think my main my main takeaway is that wow there's so many amazing people out there Mm -hmm. and they lifted me up and inspired me and um yeah i came back with renewed energy and a sense of belonging well how was that for you wow i love that i mean honestly i feel very similar to how you feel um i i too was both impressed with the all of the efforts made to cre- to create a space of belonging for all all people who were going to be there and then i also was like i don't want to wear business casual that's not, <laughs> that sucks <laughs> um but uh and and also was impressed with their um real time ability to um receive feedback because mm. no no conference can be perfect no. and there were definitely moments of ouch and oops and when i conveyed some ouches they immediately or almost immediately oopsed it and fixed it and it was really wonderful to see um and to experience that in real time um and I also was kind of anxious in the same way too of like am I going to be the only trans or non-binary person how many queer people are there actually going to be because there have been a lot of times in my past where I'm like I am the only one like I am the, I don't know if, if other people would call this, but like the token trans Jew or, you know, whatever. Right. And I was like that, that in and of itself is a burden and a lot of responsibility because people look to you as like 
the representative of everybody. Um, And I was thrilled that I was not the only in any of the categories. Um, That was amazing. And it really did help me. It's It's one of those things where it's like, in theory, we know that so many different kinds of people exist, but it's hard to like concretize until you actually are in a space and can have <laughs> yeah. conversations with people or, you know, I think we get so siloed in our echo chambers of like, mm. this is the only way that any, that, you know, this type of person can be where at least for me, I get lost in that sometimes. And it was really lovely getting to meet so many different people from all over the world who really do hold a lot of different points of view and ways of thinking about the world that right. that are in direct conflict with mine. Yes. But still showing respect, still showing that people want to listen. Um, mm. It was really, really powerful for me. There was a moment of affirmation that it's almost like a, if you know, you know, kind of thing. And I'll explain right. it just in case. Um, but we were, me and a few other people were in a circle doing some kind of camp game. I don't even know what it was. And at the end, we all were supposed to high five each other. And there was an ultra Orthodox woman um, who's very observant um, Mm. and would not high five me. And for me, that was a moment of affirmation because she was seeing me as I want to be seen as not a cis woman. And that was like, like that's never happened before. And that felt incredible. So good. (laughs) But it was really funny to watch. Um, the other people in the circle, because some like Jamie, who is a dear friend, uh, we looked at each other like, all right. And then a few other people were had confused looks or like, are you okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like, if you don't know that sometimes super observant Jews, like won't touch people of different genders. Um, right. But like, that was very affirming for me. So yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good story. Thank you. Yeah. It 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 was it was it truly was an amazing experience. I I I I yeah, so, such great people. Yeah, really really great people, and just so many different and creative opportunities to brainstorm and to network and to get to know one another. Um, yeah. And have you any any takeaways in the sense of like how it's impacted your work or ways that you think about your work or not even like. Yeah, proper work or just like how you 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 know you were doing work to change the the Jewish landscape in the Netherlands. So yeah. has that impacted so, that? Right. So so one of the things that it's definitely done for me is kind of reinfer- reaffirmed my resolve to mm-hmm. keep wanting to do this work of working within the Dutch Jewish community and um, changing some of these uh, structures. Uh, of power and and creating i mean i don't know if people understand from the u.s context um what it's like to be jewish in in europe sometimes and especially in the netherlands where the holocaust has left uh, sorry for for so casually mentioning the holocaust but (laughs) it has left a deep deep wound and it has left the Dutch Jewish community in ruins. Like seventy-five mm. percent of the of Dutch Jews were were murdered, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's tangible. 
you know, like still. Mm-hmm. And this commu- this is a community or communities. I don't even like to speak of it as a community. Like there is different communities. There's different people. Um, but these are communities that are traumatized, that are wounded, that are still struggling to recover from what has happened. And I think that my generation and, and younger generations, I think once again, my, my generation just is is just like our generation maybe was like the last generation of queers that really had no you know uh how do you say this um representation um, or representation Mm -hmm. i think my generation of jews is the first generation that is that that is like hey we need to we we are we it feels sometimes like we are kind of putting our heads you know like over over the fence and and seeing what's out there you know like we are starting to look around and think about new possibilities for jewish life for <laughs> reclaiming our identity but also reshaping it and 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 making it into something new and meeting so many people that are doing this work or that are living proof of the fact that that vibrant and inclusive and um, 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 outward looking unapologetic Jewish communities can exist and can thrive. That was very inspiring to me mm-hmm. um, and very important, I think, also for me to see, because sometimes within the Dutch context, you can get a little, ah, you can get a, you can get a little flustered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it. I think when I, I left my full-time job, was working for a Jewish organization, a Jewish nonprofit for five years, and I left at the end of 2021. And right. I, to tie this back to what we were talking about earlier about feeling burnout, I, th- I left and I, I kind of was like, I'm kind of done with the Jewish community right now. I'm feeling so burnt out. I'm feeling kind of burned in the sense of um, it's sometimes when you're so deep in the work, it's hard to see any progress or it's hard to mm. see the work that's hap- that's actually happening. Right. Um, and being at ROI, so, so similar to what you're saying, it helped renew my sense of purpose. And it's like, oh, actually, I still am not done even remotely working in the Jewish community. Like it re-upped my, my desire, my passion to get back into it. And um, that felt really crucial for me. Yeah, it's been very effective, I guess, like yeah. bringing us back into the fold. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so tell, so tell me and everyone listening about, like, specifically about the work that you're doing in the Netherlands, like to to help, you know, change the Jewish landscape. And I, right. I follow your your uh, page on Instagram, but so so let us know. Tell us. Tell us right. everything. <laughs> yeah, so we, we have recently, I mean, I mean, first of all, I'm I'm part of an organization here in Amsterdam that's called Oive Amsterdam. And we basically have two different branches. You have Oive Amsterdam, which is um, a cultural organization, basically. So we are trying to bring unapologetic Jewish culture in 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 an inclusive and and almost I would say festive manner out into the open for everybody to enjoy um that's one because we felt that was needed like everything jewish was either behind a big wall 
and security or was like a museum or a museum or a monument for for dead people mm-hmm. and we wanted to with all due respect we wanted to be also like hey there's living there's people that are alive and that are you know yeah. living living their Judaism mm-hmm. so that's one thing and then there is Oive Acts and Oive Acts is kind of the activist's little sister of Oive Amsterdam because we we saw me and some other people, um, Jewish friends, we kind of noticed at a certain point, especially around this moment, well, the murder of George, George Floyd, mm-hmm. when the Black Lives Matter movement also here in the Netherlands gained a lot of traction and, you know, anti-racism uh, work and anti-racism groups uh, started organizing themselves and started to be out on the streets and started demanding justice, which is also something that here in the Netherlands is 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 very much needed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we kind of noticed the lack of of Jews in that movement. There was no visible visibly Jewish presence. There were no statements, no actions, no protests, no nothing. So we kind of felt like. We, we wanted to create a space for Jews within this activist movements, within the social justice movement, within the anti-racism movement, within the climate movement, because we see this almost as a Jewish tradition mm-hmm. to involve yourself in, in that work of repairing the world and mm-hmm. making it a better place. Um, so that's part of the work that we're doing, creating a space for Jews within these movements and also creating conversation within the Jewish world uh, about these topics. Because like I said, Jewish communities in the Netherlands can be very inward looking. And we, want, we, need, it, we need to be outward looking mm-hmm. um, if we want to create allies, allyship, if we want to, uh, um, uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, very specifically, uh, a project that I am doing right now for Oive Amsterdam is called the Jods Manifest, which translates to the Jewish Manifesto. And this is a project that aims to teach people about what it means to be Jewish in the Netherlands now. Because when one of the biggest issues that the Jewish communities in the Netherlands are facing is the lack of representation and knowledge. People know nothing about Jews. So when people talk about Jews or when you ask people about Jews, it will be, you know, things that will come up are like the Holocaust and Frank, um, Israel. um, And that's kind of it. Oh yeah. and, and, And maybe something with religion, but it's all these, you know, like, uh, almost controversial, like a bit heavy things. And we want to create a resource where people can learn about Jewish life, uh, about Jewish people that are alive and that have experiences and that have voices and that have things to say. Um, um, and in doing so, also centered the margins a bit. So especially those Jews that you usually don't really see. So the queer Jews, the Jews of color, the, the patrilinear Jews, the, you know, Jews that, that don't live in Amsterdam, which is also a thing here, right? Most Jews live in Amsterdam. Um, uh, and to show the, the full diversity of uh, the Jewish people. That's amazing. How has is, how is your work been received so far? Like, how is it, how's it going? 
I mean, we just launched launched uh, an Instagram page for it, uh, and we are just starting to reach out. So it's going to be very grassroots based mm-hmm. project, right? So we we're not going to talk to the institutions. We're going to talk to the people. So we're going to talk to uh, individual individuals, and we want to talk to as many as many of them as possible, and then kind of condense it into. We don't really know what it's going to be yet. We're going to mm-hmm. kind of try to condense it into this thing. Right, um, uh, and we are just starting the process of reaching out to people and putting some stuff out there and kind of testing the waters a bit. And I would say it's it's been received very well thus far. I think there is a there is a there is a need for it. Mm-hmm. There is a need for it. Someone shared someone shared something. They they said it's like Jewish life is is a shadow it runs the streets it's it's a shadow but it's never really visible it's never really out there it's never really and that's that's really for me the essence of it that's what we want to change we want to be like hey we're here mm-hmm. we're still here mhm is there is there with the the work that you're doing or any other kind of organizations in Amsterdam for like healing like healing the trauma, healing the fear, healing just the pain that that mm. comes from, you know, ancestors, family members being murdered in the Holocaust. Is that is that part of this work? Listen, I love that you're asking it because this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Mm-hmm. And we haven't, we haven't, I mean, I do feel that we've created a space as Oive where we talk a lot. You know, so so it's it's also a space where people meet and where people exchange experiences, um, uh, which is part of that, right? It's part of this this healing process, mm-hmm. of finding recognition in other people. Um, but no, I mean we have not um, actively been working on it, and it's been it's been on my mind a lot because mm-hmm. I think in the end this is the most important work that needs to be done. We need to heal. And to be honest, I see a lot of similarity uh, when it comes to to queer spaces. I Mm. feel like there is so much trauma in both Jewish spaces and in queer spaces. And I I bet you could name a zillion other like like minority spaces mostly where where trauma is, is, is... is in the room with us always Mm -hmm. and we don't really address it. We don't really address it. And we don't, we might address it on a, on a superficial level, but the work of really addressing what it does to our communities, that's, that's something that I'm very interested in. And I, and I hope we can, we can start doing that one day because it's, it's going to be so hard, but it's going to, but it's so important. Yeah, it's so important. Do Do you think that part of the reason why kind of the feedback you're getting is like, it's just in the shadows is like, because it's coming from a sense of fear or a sense of like not putting oneself out there because of yes. this, this inherited trauma and or real, yes. you, know, not, you know what I mean? Like, Listen, when, when people, first of all, people were betrayed 
in many cases by their neighbors, by their, you know, by, 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 by the state's institutions. I mean, the reason that the Holocaust was such a successful endeavor in the Netherlands was because Dutch institutions, but also Dutch uh, citizens, um, yeah, were really enthusiastically participating uh, in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was not only an immense loss of people, but also an immense loss of trust yeah. and safety. And then the people that came back out of hiding or from, uh, from, from the death camps and the concentration camps were being told that they could not get their house back or that they had to pay two years worth of rent because they, had, they hadn't been paying their rent mm. or that um, uh, all their stuff had been taken by their neighbors or, you know, you name it. So those, and, and someone asked me, to, asked me this question a while ago. They, they asked me like, is the majority of the Jewish population in the Netherlands, are they like recent immigrants or are they all um, descendants from mm. uh, from Holocaust survivors, mm-hmm. and the latter is the case. So most of the Jewish people in the Netherlands are descendants of Holocaust survivors, and so it's this ingrained sense of distrust and unsafety that has made, I think, uh, this reality of Jewish institutions and and Jewish individuals being uh, careful. Mm-hmm. Someone shared in in one of the the first conversations around the manifesto that we're having. Someone shared that her mother told her to never tell someone that she was Jewish unless she knew for sure that the other person was Jewish. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I think, also very um, uh, how do you say it uh, exemplary for mm-hmm. the Dutch Jewish experience. Mm-hmm which is sad. It's really sad, but we, I feel in this sense, I am positive. I do feel like we are, we are emerging Mm -hmm. from it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that there's some emergence. And also um, I just think generally speaking, people don't either, either they don't understand or they don't want to understand. Um, Mm how much healing needs to happen around anything (laughs) like around all trauma or like don't even realize that what they're experiencing, what they're feeling is trauma or a response to trauma or inherited trauma. And like, just wondering like what this world could look like if we all um, like took a beat and Mm. (laughs) really tried to address or, or become aware of the ways that um, healing could really be powerful. Yeah. That would be, that would be an amazing world. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Agreed. It's, it, I'm, I'm just, just out of curiosity. Yeah. Like, like does any of this resonate with you as well? Like, like this experience of this European Jewish experience, I always feel like it's very particular European, but you're also Jewish. I mean, mm-hmm. how does, how does that, do you recognize any of it? The parts that, um, that I most recognize are just like, I guess, more on an institutional level Mm. of a lot of really powerful institutions in the United States 
tend to lean a little bit more right wing, are very have very specific stances on Israel and ways that they uphold Judaism and what Jewish values are um, that don't necessarily align with the entire Jewish population, which is, you know, would make sense, actually, that we don't all think the way that you do. But, you you know, but these institutions are the ones who have money and are that fund programming all over the country. And so that right. I feel very resonant with. Um, I've definitely had moments of mo- more so in Ohio than in New York. I grew up in Ohio of is it safe to share that I'm Jewish in this moment? Mm. Um, and just being being made aware of, you know, it's not always safe to be Jewish. Um, and so being mindful of that. Um, and I think that directly feeds into the fear of being queer. And like, when, at, you know, when, when and if do I disclose certain parts of my queer identity? Or do I correct someone when they misgender me? Or, you know, like, all of that, like mental math of figuring out, am I safe or not? All of that feels very resonant, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think there is context and then there is universal experiences. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't want to do this, but I, I must move us into our lightning round of questions. But I could, I could talk it. about this stuff with you all day, every day. Um, <laughs> we, so, can, we, we can schedule calls, dubs. I mean, we should more brain. Dates. We sh- I mean, let's <laughs> do brain dates. Let's let's talk more. I love talking to you. Yes, ditto. Um, yeah, and I actually really do want to connect with you more about like this grassroots, um, just like way of inter- learning about a community. And I didn't even get into it, but I have a new endeavor idea that I that came from ROI. But we can talk about that. Um, Let's do it later. So this this is a lightning round of questions. They are silly. They are lighthearted. They are open ended because I was told my questions were too binary. Fine. Um, so <laughs> answer as quickly as you can. You can pass. It's just for fun ready right let's go okay if you could name your own crayon what would you name it black great favorite time of day oh god seven o'clock p.m (laughs) almost now um yes favorite current queer media representation oh wow that's well i i'm gonna say this there is this drag queen called miss cracker and i just love her to death amazing a song that makes your heart sore. Mm. Oh wow, that's 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 a hard one. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with uh, "Coming Home" by Liz Wright. That's one of the most beautiful songs I know. Amazing. Favorite beverage? Ooh, um, coffee. Favorite quote? Ah, that's a good one. We are all standing in the gutter but some of us are looking at the stars and it's by Oscar Wilde. Wow. Beautiful. Okay. I could, there's one binary question I could not get rid of and it's bagels or donuts. Bagels. Of course. Okay. Amazing. Perfect. That's the correct answer. There are no wrong answers (laughs) except donuts is wrong. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, This has been such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks again for inviting me. And I'm serious. We, you can, you can call me <laughs> whenever you like. Ditto. I, I really, really, I mean, now it's kind of, it kind of feels like a one-way street in a way because it's you interviewing me. Mm. Um, but I would love to get, get more, you know, down and dirty into some of these topics. Yes. Same. Absolutely. Thank you for coming out.
Thank you for having me. Yay. Thank you for coming out.